Kia ora Aotearoa, I'm Simon Bridges and welcome to this special bonus episode of Generally Famous. I didn't want to abandon you over summer so we've pulled together some of the best bits of seasons 1 and 2. They're themed around particular subjects. Today, Generally Origins. I hope you enjoy this compilation. I'll be back very soon with more fantastic guests for season 3. But until then, enjoy your summer. Andrea Vance. You you grew up in Northern Ireland. Where, where were you? I grew up just outside Belfast. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in that time um, during the Troubles, so mm. um, that you will have, pr- it was probably your only exposure mm. to Northern Ireland in the media up until Dairy Girls <laughs> first aired a couple of years oh, ago. We're coming to that. Oh, we are coming to that. Because you put me onto yeah. that and I loved it. Oh, did you watch it? Oh, yes, I but look, don't good. spoil that. The, the, <laughs> let's build the suspense of Dairy Girls. I don't know why I passed over it um, sort of 18 times on Netflix. I just, the short didn't do anything for me. But anyway, let's let's come to that. So it's very good. Um, so, yeah, so I um, I remember as a, as a teenager... Um, sitting up and watching the um, when the Belfast Agreement was signed at Stormont mm. and it was very tense and we'd all voted on it and um, I had this tiny little portable, you know those huge TVs with the big backs yes. and it was it was perched on my bedside table and just sitting up watching it late into the night and it, it just was such a, a feeling of excitement because it was like, oh, we might get normal. This yes. might be normal life after this. and It just felt like a time of great optimism and hope because... I was trying to explain this to my husband. It's such a we- weirdest thing. We had these ads that would run, TV ads would run before streaming, of course, um, you know, in between Coronation Street or the news or whatever. You're in the media. You need to watch the ads. Someone has to. I know. No, the ads, are, well, these, these ads were <laughs> they remarkable. They pay for it. But these ads were, were advertising pace. So they're basically like, don't beat the shit out of each other. It could be good. And um, and set to the music of Van Morrison. So they were really, when I was a teenager, it was kind of that grunge era and um, this, these catchy little rock tunes and they were like, don't kill each other. It's going to be awesome. So it was, it was a very weird thing to advertise peace on television. But that, that, that was the strange place I grew up in. And, but, but do you feel like you were... Um I mean, was it scary growing up? Because I suppose, you know, people, my sense would be people don't actually, um, growing up, feel scared even if objectively they should because it's what you grow up with, right? And it's the normal, you know, whether it's a a, a household with problems or whether it's in Northern Ireland amongst the, the troubles. It was normal for there to be soldiers and cops on the on street corners with guns and it was normal... Um, to have your handbag or your school bag searched as you went into a shopping centre, um, and and it was normal to you know for places to be evacuated. Bomb scares were normal. We joked about them. Um, it was normal to have you know politicians on TV where their voices were dubbed because. Because they were. <laughs> yeah, what was that about? I saw this on Dairy Girls and I couldn't understand it. It was so strange. So, the very idea that Jerry Adams would be allowed to talk on the BBC was an outrage. And, you know, for, for obvious reasons, um, people were very offended by him. And, and so, and so, so, you saw his face, but then it was the voice of an actor's face. <laughs> this somehow neutralised him somehow. I don't, know, I don't know why anyone thought this was a good idea, but Northern Ireland is full of funny little quirks and symbolisms, and, and to the outside world, it's, it makes total sense to most of us, but to the outside world, it's mad. Nathan Wallace. Hey, um, I thought, given that we are going to be talking child development and neuroscience <laughs> um, a lot, it, it, 
it would be really good to get a sense of your early days, right. uh, as it as it were, and what what sort of was going on for you, and and yeah, your upbringing. Yeah. So, yeah. so have a normal white sandwich with marmite sort of upbringing. No, or was not it, at all. No, it was more of a once for warriors, you know, hard out sort of upbringing. Had two alcoholic parents. My um, I didn't know who my father was, um, so I had a stepfather from pretty early. But he was um, sent to jail as a rapist um, early in my childhood, and I spent. So you're not exaggerating. No, you no. are once were warriors. Well, yeah, as, yeah, as much as anybody else is that comes from that sort of environment where there's abuse and violence and addiction and you know all of that sort of stuff. Have you ever met your father? Yes, I have. I met him two weeks before he died. My right. birth father, just through a genetic bank site, I found happened to find out who he was. And that was wonderful. That was really life-affirming. He was wonderful. You didn't know he was dying when you reached out? No, he, he didn't know I existed. And um, my name was already at a data bank, you know, with my DNA, because that's sort of part of my job. I'm interested in what you're... Not knowing who my father was, I was doubly interested in my papa. And um, so, yeah, and then he was dying. So his family thought, oh, we need to save his papa and genealogy will join this website and when it joined they matched up with me as a son and so they got in contact and I met him and now I've got another whole family wow. and cousins and brothers and sisters and it turns out I'm sort of 95% like him makes a sense why I didn't have much of a sense of belonging growing right. up because bang I fit into his family he's like Maori nothing. yeah um, and how long ago was this that you met him just a couple of only, weeks only about five years ago wow. something six years ago something like that I didn't tend to go here, but it's, uh, you know, amazing. I mean, did you, um, did that change you at all? I mean, you, you were saying to me it didn't as much as now you know this other side of you and you can see things in yourself. And Yeah, it did change me because a part of my life story had been who is my father, where do I come from, where do I belong? So that story sort of stopped because then I knew. So it allowed me to be more just me and not sort of wondering who I was. What do you think you learned about yourself from meeting him? Um, that I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, that I belong. Was he, um, I know this is a terrible word, I can't think of a better one, was he normal? He was, he was normal, he was a wonderful, wonderful man, like he was a loving father and, you know, loved by people and had a really good heart and he was very, very much like I think of myself. And and without you saying anything obviously that you'd be uncomfortable with, what was the story in terms of why he wasn't your dad growing up because he knew nothing about it because my mother was a fairly full-on alcoholic and um, mum even when she went through the list of the possible fathers that his name never even featured so mum was a bit of a party girl right (laughs) that's the truth so and she wasn't sure who the father was so that's what you grew up alcoholic um, mum alcoholic stepdad yep he's your stepdad throughout your growing up yep yep and You grew up in Milton. Yep, that's right. The metropolis of. Yeah, mighty Milton. <laughs> uh, uh, and was that in itself scarring or not? <laughs> no, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm sorry to, no, the, um, to the three podcast listeners yeah, from Milton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, no I, you know, I can joke about Milton and I do all the time, the town of opportunities. That's the byline, the town of opportunities. We all joke the only opportunity is to work in the Milton Hilton, the new, the new prison they built on the outside. <laughs> but, you know, I joke about it, but no, I think it was actually incredibly nurturing and I was lucky and that I grew up in Milton. I had extreme behaviour as a teenager, but there wasn't much extreme to get up to. You know, like yeah, um, yeah. marijuana was about as extreme as it got. Running so in a field that with sheep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About, um, and, it, and the teachers I had at high school, you know, I wouldn't be where I was now if I didn't have that community that, you know, I, my 
history teacher was my foster mother, my last foster parent in my you know last couple of years of high school. Amazing. And I had lots of teachers that took an extra interest and put in the extra. And you know, we're talking a bit south of Dunedin. Yep. Before you hit Balclotha, about Country 50 town. minutes south of Dunedin. Yep. So south of Targo officially. I did live in Invercargill for a year and go to Tweedsmuir Intermediate as well. Yep. No, and and so, and you, I mean, it's just in your um, Māori whakapapa. Mm-hmm. I mean, is your mum Pākehā or? Yeah, she's Pākehā with a little bit of American Indian, but right. essentially Pākehā. But she, who she was convinced that she knew who my father was and thought it was this other guy, so who was Māori as well. Right. So I was always told I was Māori right from the start. And because Māori could tell I was Māori. So mum thought, oh, she can't. Mum already had two kids, her Pākehā. Yes. Her husband had died. And, um, yeah. So lots of Māori would say, oh, he's Waka Blonde. And so and mum, you know, for all of her um, problems, you know, had some insight. And so she was like, oh, it's probably important that that not be cut off from him and that be acknowledged. So oh. she always raised me acknowledging that I was Māori. And they, I got away with lots of behaviours because of that. Oh, that's why he sees stuff that other people don't see. And that's why he talks to dead people. And that's why, right. that's why he's weird. So I got lots of leeway for being Māori. So it was good. That said, though, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to. I'm probably being very um, um, stereotypical here, but my sense of Milton, it's yeah. not. Um, let's put it this way: it's not. Um, mm. It's not Rotorua. No, it's not. It's but not it's more Gizzi. Rotorua than anywhere else in the South Island, because the two places where the shearing gangs go are Ashburton and Milton. Right. So if you grow up in the South Island, you go, oh, you don't see very many Māori. You do if you lived in Ashburton or Milton, because that's where all the shearing gangs come. So there was actually a constant stream of Māori, and I was quite exposed to Māori culture. You know, as a kid, is not it, actual proper Māori culture, but right. you know, once were warriors Māori culture. Yeah, um, and the, the leftovers of that, like all the Māori kids that I hung out with, we were all real dead proud of being Māori yep. and would know what our iwi was, but didn't know anything about marae or you know, other than a few words and stuff. But still, strongly, you knew you weren't sort of you were sort of not white. There's a feeling of difference there. Yeah, yeah, the feeling of identity and connection with all of the. It wasn't just the Māori ones, though, because Milton's such a small town, so the Māori and, and Pacific Islanders all hung out in the one group. Yeah, And there was actually one Pākehā that hung out in that group as well. So it was a group of people that just didn't feel like they attached to the mainstream. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I what, think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. It, it, yeah, we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Actually, Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Sonia Williams. Can I ask you what is probably an uh, entirely inappropriate question, but how old were you when all of this started and you, you, you have the idea and then you bring together several others? Yeah, I think I was, um, I was late 20s. Right. But Amazing. as a group, we probably ranged from... Um, I'm the youngest, so <laughs> no, but um, as a group, we probably ranged from, you know, me and there's a group of us who were kind of were in our late 20s at the time um, to I think some of us would, would have been in mid-30s at the time. And how did it grow from that? You've got the idea, you bring together the Avengers and then you need <laughs> to go on your mission. Run me through that, you know, and how it sort of, yeah, what, I, yeah. I'll try to give you the the highlights because it's been, been yeah, six it's a years long. Now, I don't. We haven't got six years <laughs> worth here, right? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm giving you three minutes. 
first we did a bunch of research to find out whether people had this problem and to really understand our market. Then we worked on developing a solution that we thought met the needs of that market. And I think, you know, thinking back that long, we launched our first product had six exchange traded funds on it. You know, it's so different to what the product it is today. Mm. Um, but what we did have was we had 6,000 people who had signed up, um, put their names on a wait list to start invest, you know, to, to, to be interested in investing and to want to start investing from small amounts and build up their portfolio. And I guess we've just evolved with them, with our audience of investors and um, as they've grown on their investing journey, we've also grown um, the, what we offer on our product. So now we've got over 8,000 um, investments. They range from individual companies to funds, to exchange-traded funds. We have a bunch of education and support that really helps people along their investing journey. And we've got an amazing team that's grown. So from six of us um, to now around 200. Yeah. And um, and we're based in Australia as well. We started... Um, we expanded over there last year. Morgan Penn. I'm very excited. So um, you have a background in media. Yeah, I was in radio for 15 years. And how did you get, or maybe a better question is, why did you get from that to somatic sexology? <laughs> because when I wasn't working hard in radio, I was gossiping in the kitchen room about people's sex lives. Right. I was the person everybody would come to for advice I loved sex. I loved exploring things. I didn't understand why people thought it was a bad thing or why yeah. people kept things a secret. And so I just became the safe person that anybody could talk to yeah. about sex. Yeah. And then I sort of always felt with radio, I wasn't fulfilling my sole purpose. There was still something more that I wanted to be doing. And I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a sexologist. As soon as I found out, I was like, that's me. Oh, I've got so many questions, but one of them is <laughs> off, off the back of that. How many, do you think there are a lot of sexologists in New Zealand? Or I, I would say not many. No, there I, aren't. I've not knowingly met one before you. Right, okay. So this morning is like, I'm a virgin sexologist <laughs> greeter. <laughs> Nice to pop your cherry, Simon. <laughs> well, in this regard, that's right. Um, what, but what do you reckon? 50? 200? There's a lot of sex therapists that are like psychologists that right. have then gone into like specify in that realm. And a counselling and this sort of... Yeah, right. and it's quite broad. Um, whereas like I'm quite different where I've gone and studied somatically, which means to work with the body. So right. it means I can also perform one-way touch on yep. bodies. So that's what I get from the word somatic is um, it, it is physical as well as, you know, as you say, that sort of counselling or discussion, well, which you obviously do as well, yeah, I presume. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yep. the thing is, like, when we're actually having sex, we're using our body most of the time. This is true. So we need to be engaged with the body. Yes. And the mind is very important, but the body is equally. And the body holds its own wisdom and traumas and experiences and pleasure so that's where we have to be deeply connected and and you, you know you talked about purpose so are you deeply fulfilled as a somatic sexologist oh my god yes fuck yes <laughs> like, i love it is sex a basic need i'm going to say is it a human right absolutely of course it is it's pleasure we our bodies are wired for pleasure yeah so you know when we when we take that away, of course it's a human right. We, you know, think about, you know, female genital mutilation that happens over in Africa, mm, things like that. That's taking away pleasure. Mm. It is a human right. We deserve it. And that's part of our reproductive system. We're not meant to be having sex without pleasure. 
What just occurs to me, what about though like abstinence or what do we call that chastity or, I mean for some people uh, that's that's not a strategy, it happens, they don't want it to, right? They'd, but <laughs> but you know in terms of an actual uh, approach maybe for... Well like celibacy you mean? Yeah, celibacy. Is this something you've ever done? Yeah, I have actually. Yeah. I think it's really... Imp- As a purposeful thing, yes. you've been like, I'm going to yeah. steer clear of this for X period of time and see what that means for me. Yeah, I have done that multiple times in my life because, one, I like to come back to having a sense of my own body totally and hold sexual energy because I think quite often we're not taught how to hold orgasmic energy Mm -hmm. or arousal in our body. We feel Mm -hmm. like we actually have to discharge it. This is sort of the tantric view of life. It actually is, yeah, you're not wrong. It's about working with those energetics in the body. And uh, what I find is when I'm really in my flow and I'm creative, I get really turned on and I want to go and, you know, self-pleasure. But when I hold that, my creativity just like goes up tenfold. I'm more productive in the world, you know, so it is quite yeah. an interesting energy to play with. Yeah. Because when we are, you know, having sex with other people, we are sharing energetics. It's a lot. Um, especially, I think, for men as well, when there's this ejaculation, this is life force energy being spread out into mm. the world. It's a discharge. There's literally a lot of stuff coming out of the body. Yes. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Now, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks again for listening to this bonus episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, we'll be back very soon with all new episodes and more brilliant guests. If you're following the show on a podcast app, keep an eye on your feed or check www.stuff.co.nz slash generally famous for updates. Thanks as ever to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black. I'm Simon Bridges. Enjoy your summer, Aotearoa. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support.